Grab your phone, tablet, or whatever you listen on and get comfy. Because here's another great episode of the Pop Zara Podcast. Enjoy it. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Pop Zara Podcast. You're here with Ev, editor-at-large for Pop Zara. And we have a special guest I'm super excited to chat to about his new book today. And this guest is unique because he's already a New York Times bestselling author for 35 cookbooks. 35. And he has three podcasts. One is called Walking with Dante, going through Dante's comedy, Lyric Life, devoted to lyric uh, poetry. And last but not least, Cooking with Bruce and Mark with his husband, Bruce, whom he writes the cookbooks with. And now he's written a memoir called Bookmarked, how the great works of Western literature fucked up my life. (laughs) That is such a juicy title, and I know your interest is peaked because so was mine when I read it. <laughs> so please, everyone, give our guest, Mark Scarborough, a super warm welcome. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. That was a <laughs> fabulous intro. Oh, thank you. But honestly, like I, when I picked up your book, I was just like... I have to know this person <laughs> and I have to, I have to listen to his podcast, especially like, so I have to say like with da- walking with Dante, mm. I've been gifted Dante's Inferno. I have yet to crack it, but listening to your podcast is just like, okay, yeah, now I have to, I have to open it up. Yeah. That's a weird podcast because I just decided at a whim that I was going to start a podcast in which I could go as slowly through Dante as I ever wanted to go. And so it's literally (laughs) passage by passage. I mean, it's it's been going on a year. There are 101 episodes. I think there are 105 episodes in the can. And we're just halfway through Inferno. And it's just a very Mm -hmm. slow walk. There's a lot of guests on there, a lot of grad students and translators of Dante. But it's just I've always wanted to go really slow. And um, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I guess 35 cookbooks allowed me to have a passion project and so it became my passion my passion project and it kind of hooks in to bookmarked because uh, when I came back to lit after the great works of mm-hmm. western literature totally fucked my life over um mm-hmm. after I came back to lit I came back through Dante so it all kind of weirdly yes. circles back around oh and I know like the first person who kind of messed you up in the first place or of great uh, works of literature is Blake then. Yeah, it's the poet William Blake. I fell for Blake in college and I fell for Blake in Baylor. <laughs> mm-hmm. places. Yeah. yeah. Oh, good God. So here, <laughs> here I am, this queer kid at Baylor and um, I don't really know anything. In fact, I've been raised to be a preacher on country rodeo circuits. And oh. I get introduced to William Blake and I fall for him. But there was a trick with me. And that is that not only was I a queer kid at Baylor, but I, I was adopted. And mm-hmm. I was, how do I say this nicely? A lot of adopted kids have great stories. And mine is a terrible story. It's just my family and I were a very bad fit. And mm-hmm. we were not, it wasn't that they were, they were not abusive. There wasn't anything abusive about it. We were just a terrible fit. I'm the kid who was, you know, wanted to sit in my room and read. And they were not those people. I fell for mm-hmm. William Blake. I discovered that 
no place had ever felt like home. And one of the things that's so fucking weird about reading is that books are like the quantum universe. They offer alternate timelines. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I thought I literally went mad for lit Mm -hmm. because I thought that if I read enough, I would find a timeline where I belonged. Mm -hmm. And that felt felt like home. Mm -hmm. And it, it just caused me to have, well, God, right? I mean, I eventually... In my life, I had a couple really weird psychotic breaks over lit and actually Mm -hmm. had a whole conversation with William Blake on a country road one night. And Mm -hmm. literature, literature just broke me. It Mm. it just and I had to find my way back out of it. That's a that's a lot to say, isn't it? I mean, good God. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it's so true, though. But I, I do completely agree with you because books are you can quantum leap at through books in so many different ways as well. And I mean, when you drop into a book, you literally drop into it. You're immersed in that world for that time while you're in it. And it's, there is something so beautiful about that, which is why I love that we can go back in time and we can go into the future as well. And yet we're still here. And I'd just like to circle back to your parents as well. And I know they they were loving parents, but like you said, they weren't a good fit. And even before they adopted you, your mom referred to your dad as quote unquote then because he used to like gamble, he used to like drink, or he used to, I think, drink and he used to have cigarettes rolled into his uh, shirt sleeve kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, totally. I mean, he was a total <laughs> Frank Sinatra like brat. And oh, he was God. he was also an Air Force. I mean, this is not in the book, but he was an Air Force top gun. He was a pilot in the oh, Air Force. Okay. So okay. I mean he was like this really chill, cool guy. And um my mom really uh I don't know what she did. She basically turned him into an insurance executive. But (laughs) besides that, they made a kind of deal with each other that they were going to live a really hyper normal white suburban life. Mm -hmm. And they really tried to live that life. And it was it was not in any way the the life I wanted to use. I tell this to my shrink once when I was in therapy way later in life when I'm an adult. And Mm -hmm. I, I told my shrink that, you know. Like I was the kid who who just wanted to like read books at a certain point in my life, and that's all I wanted to do. And my parents didn't mm-hmm. like that at all about me. And she, my shrink, this was in New York City when I lived in New York, and she was like the total Upper West Side shrink. And she said to me, breaking the fourth wall of therapy, which you never should. She's like, Oh my God, you're every liberal atheist Jew's dream child. And I'm like, <laughs> I am. I know I am. <laughs> <laughs> but but I didn't get put in the liberal atheist Jews family. I got put in the Christian fundamentalist white suburban family. And it just mm-hmm. it was like I say, it was not a good fit. And books just tipped mm-hmm. me off the edge. I mean, listen, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, as a fundamentalist, I'd always everything was a timeline because we were always heading toward the apocalypse and the end of the world. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that I found fucking other timelines it was like god look at this the whole system the multiverse is just a billion timelines and i can read myself into it and it was a kind of freakish experience and 
way, eventually read my way to the point where I couldn't read anymore and my life mm-hmm. kind of just collapsed and I had to put it together. I mean, right? In the end, this sounds so cliched. It's almost embarrassing to say it, but the only way out is to tell your own story. Mm-hmm. I mean, right? Is, is there another mm-hmm. way out? I don't think there's another way out. I, to, I honestly don't think so. <laughs> right? You have to tell your own story. Yeah. Um, so that actually, that leads into my my next question, which is like, you've taken all this time, you've like lived such a like, I'm like astounding experience. Absolutely <laughs> astounding. And mostly because and I, I do want to put this out there because like you and I could not be more different. And mm-hmm. yet I completely resonated because I grew up um, not religious at all. And just like I'm Canadian born Chinese and I like mm-hmm. I'm agnostic now and I didn't mm-hmm. really battle with my sexuality or anything like that. But it was just but I resonated with not fitting in like trying to find your identity and just being desperate to like live up to other people's expectations of you, which is what you were kind of doing for your parents when you were a kid, when you were a kid. Right. So it's just like you, especially because you were adopted and you wanted to make sure that they didn't feel, they didn't feel any sort of regret. I'm assuming for adopting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I was a young kid. I was just like the model kid, you know, I mean, I was the, 4-0, oboist, trumpetist, pianist, um, <laughs> president of the math club, president, you know, vice president of the science club. I mean, I was that kid. I was just like the absolute model child. As I, mm-hmm. I think you say in the book, I was the answer to the question, what's the matter with kids these days? I was like, everybody's mm-hmm. answering that. Um, yeah. Because I was just totally this model kid. And um, I discovered that a my identity was not well this is all part of the book I discovered that my identity is not really binary and Mm -hmm. I discovered that I didn't exist in any kind of timeline that I ever read about I mean the thing is so freaky about reading and I think the thing that kind of freaked me out ultimately about reading and maybe this is about fitting in is there's I there, I don't know of any other moment except when you like read a narrative or read a story or read a novel or read you know read a story. There's no other moment in when you in which you let someone take over your consciousness, but mm-hmm. you literally let somebody take over your consciousness when you read a novel or mm-hmm. read a short story or read a poem in ways that you don't like. You like when you're watching TV, you know, you're like you're looking at your dog or your cat or whatever. But when you're reading, it's like like other people's thoughts are coursing through your brain. Mm-hmm. And I, what can I tell you? It's about identity because you are suddenly allowing your identity to be channeled into other people's thoughts. And it seems easy, but I think reading is just fucking dangerous. And it, <laughs> I do. And I think it can it can like blow the wrong person out of the water. And it blew the wrong person, me, out of the water until I figured out how to put my life back together and how to actually have my own story. Um, but is that also because like you live such a, I have to say, a Norman Rockwell life? <laughs> that like, that, that was like when, when I read the description of like how you described your life with your parents and I was just like oh my god this is like Norman Rockwell right here it, kind of it was and like even when you started reading Step for Wives even like the condensed version of it it was just like you got a buzz from that and I was just like is that because like you were reading something outside of the bible in that way yeah 
Yeah, I think it was. And it was also that, you know, the step for pipes was perfect for me, as I say in the book. It's, that's how I fell into the great works of Western literature is through the step for yep. pipes because they were all replacements. And I I had this like realization as like this kid, like this junior higher, I had this, re- I had this revelation that I was a replacement. That, you know, mm. as an adopted kid, I was a replacement in this story and a placeholder that others could step into this place that I was holding. And especially since I was like a Stepford wife, except as a kid, I was such the model mm. kid. It just, it blew my mind that suddenly I had found a timeline that felt closer to my real timeline than I felt. And I felt this connection to the text. How do I say that? that reading was fake and that I could mm-hmm. stop it and go just a reading was fake and it was a fake timeline and I could stop it and look up from it exactly in the same way I could from my real life. Like I was leading this like fake life on an alternate timeline that wasn't me. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when I looked up, I, I could go back to it because I could look back down at my own life or at the book because, hell, I just wanted to see what happened. Um, Mm -hmm. It wasn't being authentic in any stretch of the imagination. It was being, uh, it was learning how to form an identity out of pieces and fragments of other stories. Tough, tough thing. I think it's what we all have to eventually overcome. I just had a really dramatic <laughs> psychotic break with lit um but mm-hmm. uh i think it's what we all eventually have to overcome well yeah i would say so because i think but then at the same time it, i find it interesting that you could read the bible because i mean to you that was more of a diy thing right? it, was- it had instructions it had instructions for you and you, this is what you could do yeah. in certain situations and stuff, stuff like that whereas like with lit you're just like oh my God, there's like more to it. I don't know what to do. There is no right, quote unquote, right answer in that book. So it's just like, you just have to rely on your intuition, which is, I feel like sometimes a lot of people aren't able to harness that because there's so many other voices trying to grab at that, like that person's identity at at that person in general. Mm, Yes, Mm. I, I totally agree. And when I, um, you know, there's this bit in the book when I start, I, uh, the first serious kind of lick, I'm a chemistry major at Baylor. As I say, I'm a oh, chemistry, yes. major, yeah. <laughs> chemistry major at a Baptist university that doesn't believe in evolution. And I, um, <laughs> and so I um, take the first serious lit class and I read Faulkner and I end up reading Absalom Absalom, which is this, you know, giant, big mm-hmm. quarter page modernist nightmare and I end up reading it basically in one day and I can't stop with it and it it kind of like it bends my brain but not because I think because we approach the Bible as like this DIY manual of how to live your life this was different Mm -hmm. this was like consciousness forming this was like 
brain warping. Nobody, at least in my world, nobody ever sat down and read the Bible straight through like that. You know, right? You read it like in in Pisa, you're like, oh, well, here's a passage that means, I don't know. Here's a passage that means don't go on unemployment. I don't know. And, and, you know, it's like something that I don't know, it was written in the Psalms like 4,000 years ago, but somehow it means don't go on unemployment. And we, we took it that way, but nobody ever sat down and read the thing in like a great gulp. And when I started reading Lit, I started reading it in just like these unbelievable great gulps when i went on my I, I think in the book i call it my gavage you know like where they call the mm-hmm. geese to shove the corn down their throats when i want my literary gavage a bailer um and i was reading like all of jane austen in a week kind of thing mm-hmm. it it just became this way in which i could no longer hold on tightly to this very constructed christian fundamentalist kid identity that i'd had and it mm-hmm. blew it apart it yeah. blew it apart and I wasn't ready for it. And you also spoke about how a lot of the words, it filled you up, almost like filled in that emptiness that you felt as well, right? Yep. yep. And they did. Um, I think that, that that's exactly what happened. I mean, that's the, the Blake episode in there is this sense that like, that, that suddenly there are, I think in the book it's described that, that I had the sensation that, that there were all these thousands of vectors spinning out of me with words Mm -hmm. hanging off of them and if I ever could get the words in the right order I would be able to explain who I was and always with me find a way home I would be able to what home is it was kind of this overwhelming experience and you know I as the book describes I eventually went off and you know went off my PhD and became an academic and my life just fell apart and I got the worst academic job as is recorded in a memoir in the history of the world, which is basically I was hired by a Holy Cross liberal arts college in Austin, Texas. And my job, well, my job was right to teach lit, but Mm -hmm. my real job was to fish the monks out of gay bars on the weekends. And Oh my gosh, I remember that. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. You haven't lived until you have fished an 80-year-old Holy Cross brother in a cowl and a rope belt out of a gay bar at 11 o'clock at night. You really had to try to shove him in your compact car. You just have not lived until <laughs> – and mind you, these are Holy Cross brothers, and some of them, a lot of them, because of their vow, went barefoot. So there's a whole lot of toenail fungus going on here. And Oh, the- my gosh. <laughs> And you're trying to get this 80-year-old in your car, and he knows who I am, but he's a bit drunk. And, you know, I've gotten this call from the administration late at night to say, Brother Andrew's been seen in such and such a bar. And I'm like, oh, God, dude, this is the last thing I want to do in my life. Yeah, it's the last (laughs) thing I want to do. Is Like, I didn't get to this place in my life in which I could actually talk about books for a living and then in order to fish monks out of gay bars. It's just, dude, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's just it's just too much it's like i'm sorry this is still not the life i'm supposed to be living this is not home this doesn't feel like anything and um that I, that's part of the story of the book and finally you know realizing that i i could find a home but i had to make it uh, i i mean somebody said to me that my i think my editor said to me at one point this book is chaos that quiets down to domesticity and i was like <laughs> Yeah, 
that's basically the story of my life is chaos that quiets down to domesticity. <laughs> oh, that's so true. I like I imagine when you were reading all when you went on your garage, it was like you immersed yourself in an ocean of words and that made you so disoriented. And you were almost like I think you said you were expecting someone to pull you out of it, like someone that yeah. you could actually rely on. And I think yeah. you found that in so many different people. And I think like people nowadays also do this where they're hoping someone like almost like a white knight in sh shining armor kind of thing. Yeah. And it's just like, no, I've seen so many entrepreneurs are like, nope, no one's coming to save you. You got to do it yourself. It's like, it, but how do you know which way to go first? You're just like all lost in words essentially i think if you spend a lot of time like i did reading the quote unquote great works of western lit you know you read mm -hmm. i don't know the brontes and elliot and balzac and you know you read enough things you get this identity formed in your head that there is going to come someone who is going to save you Either if mm. not, you're going to end up Madame Bovary or you're going to end up Anna Karenina. Oh, but, you know, otherwise, someone like is going to come like in Middlemarch and save Dorothea Brooke, which is what happens. And I think I write about this in the book that the very last part of the great works of Western literature that I had to give up was the notion that someone would save me, that mm -hmm. it was. It was the last thing inside of me that had to go, that there was finally mm -hmm. going to be somebody who could just save me. And it by this point in the book, I'm with my current husband, Bruce. And mm -hmm. by this point in the book, it our relationship changes because it I'm not looking for him to save me. And he mm -hmm. can't save me. It I still have to give up this notion that that there's someone standing out there who's gonna fix me or save me mm -hmm. or do something for me. And I think you're right. I run into a lot of people in like, like podcasting world and the entrepreneurial world of online that still seem to have a kind of rescue mentality. And you're right, it's mm -hmm. really hard to drop. It, mm -hmm. And I think it's the debt of reading. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's, it's so funny because like reading is meant to be an enjoyable experience. Reading is encouraged because mm. obviously like you, you dealt with a, some mild dyslexia and I've seen some other people deal with dyslexia as well. And mm. it's just, but it opens up this whole world of like imagination and freedom when you've been walking such a narrow path before, like having that whole world open up is really scary. It's just it like you feel like you're going to drop into the abyss and never, ever come out. That's how I felt. I felt that I was pushed off a cliff into a giant abyss that I and But I always and I think I'm a really at, in my core. I think I'm a really optimistic guy because I mm. always did believe that somewhere out there was the timeline I would fit on that that would make sense of me mm -hmm. and that would mm -hmm. make sense of even though now I'm in a relationship with a man I am not a binary individual and I always mm -hmm. thought that somewhere along the line I would find this this timeline that made sense of me and I didn't I had to I had to DIY it <laughs> pretty much to go back to the Bible, <laughs> I had to DIY it, and um, it it was 
difficult experience. I Somebody wrote me today on Facebook and said they DM'd me and they said they, they were reading the book, but they could only take it in very small sections because it was just so grippingly emotional. And I thought, mm. wow, I think I think that if that's the truth, and I don't even know who this person really, I mean, we don't have a connection except through Facebook. And I thought, God, that's what I wanted from the book. I wanted it to feel like that. I worked with an editor for a long time on the book. And at one point she told me I was going to have to go way deeper than I had gone before mm. and to explain my story. And so I thought I got really heroic and I made this draft in like three months. And I was like, oh, so proud of myself. And oh my God, look how heroic I am and how deep I went and how deep I dug down into the pain and and the craziness that was my life and all this kind of stuff. And she gave me back the draft and all it said, there was one single comment. It's still in my office right next to my desk. It, <laughs> there was one single comment and it all she wrote is the word that comes to mind is cowardly. <gasps> I thought, oh God, I have to be braver yet. And I realized that that's not a helpful comment, but I, it, Wow, it was like, oh God, shit. I thought I was as brave as I could be, and I'm going to have to be braver yet to tell the story. Mm. Yeah, that's so true because you even mentioned in one of your recent episodes of Walking with Dante podcast that Dante wrote out terms of his own salvation. Uh, like he wrote mm. co the comedy in terms of uh, mm. his own salvation versus relying on writing just for fame. And then, so I'm just going to ask, like, did you find writing your own, like, memoir created your, you created your own salvation in that way? I, I think so, yes. I was, um, I was trying to figure out a way to write who I was. And it's really funny. It went through a long process. I started writing it and um, my literary agent was like, okay, well, you know, like, if you insist, don't you have a cookbook career? And I was like, yeah. She's okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, but if you insist. And so um, we went on down the path. And it's funny, the book became a novel for a while. It became a third-person mm -hmm. novel. It became a first-person novel. It shifted back to memoir again. And it, I think mm -hmm. in all that shifting around, I was trying to write out the terms of my own salvation. I was trying to figure out mm -hmm. once, once again where is the story that somehow mm -hmm. feels like home and god right that um, i know in my husband's life in the people i've loved in their lives I, I, you could watch it happen that that search for the story that feels like home that mm -hmm. feels like the place that you belong and that the pieces fit all together and it's it's I think it's it's what we all have to do, but man, you think you're brave, and then you just have to be braver sometimes. But don't you also feel that like each stage of your life, like there's always going to be a different kind of home as well? Absolutely. Because it's not necessarily okay. Yeah, because it's just like I know, like even myself, I've gone through so many different aspects of home for me, and now it's still changing yet again, and it's so irritating. <laughs> Because at the same time, it's just like, oh, now I have to find a new home. Are you kidding me? And then coming yeah. back to like, no, well, home will always be, I've realized that home will always just be me just figuring shit out regardless. Uh, yeah. And I think that's right. And I think, you know, 
um, and as an adopted kid, so this is this is my part of that. As an adopted mm-hmm. kid, you how do I say this? I pass through my life without seeing a single person who ever looks like me. So mm-hmm. I don't have, I can't, you know, nobody ever looks at me and goes, oh, you look like your aunt or, oh, oh, you look like your uncle or, oh, you look like your grandmother. I don't look like anybody. I don't look like mm-hmm. anybody that I know. And because of that, there's this weird part of it that's like th- this need to feel like I'm connected to something. And that it's that it could all fall away from me at any moment. I think that's the adopted part of it. It's like my husband, I mean, you know, he's from this giant New York Jewish family and everybody like he looks just like his mother and his mother looks mm-hmm. like his grandmother. And, you know, I mean, they all look alike. And they, there's traits in all of them that you can see. And I don't have that. And sometimes mm-hmm. I sit at the table with them, his big family. And I'll sit at the table with them like for dinner and I'll look around and I'll think, wow, I, it's like, I don't belong. It's like, what am I doing here? I, nobody, they're all connected. And then I'm this odd person out. And I think that's part of an adopted kid's story is trying to mm. figure out the odd way that you're the odd person out. But I also think you're right in that in the end, how do I say this in consumer culture, we see home as a product and you're totally right. It's a process to get there for everybody. Yeah, exactly. I, and I think like I have the privilege of actually like my family, I like I wasn't adopted. So I can see the resemblance in my dad uh, who's now mm. passed, but like in my other relatives as well. And yet it still feels like uh, I don't always fit in with them because I'm seen as the black sheep. I go out, I color outside the lines. <laughs> and so they think, well, she's off on one of her little weird bases right now. And yet I'm just like, I'm still trying to find my forever family, I guess, in that way too. I think so you're that- dead right. <laughs> I think you're, I think it's the struggle in all of us. And I guess I just want to surround myself. This is not part of my book. But I guess I just Mm -hmm. want to surround myself with people who know that. I want to surround myself with people who understand that thing that you just said, that the the searching and the meaning. Because a lot of people, and I I don't want to be sneering, uh, a lot of people, does it compromise, give up? I see it sounds sneering and I don't mean, not everybody has to be heroic. But a lot of mm. people settle for something. And mm-hmm. I guess I I always want to be around the people who don't settle. Um, mm. I like them a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yes, because, no, it's so true, though, because the people who settle, I feel, and I mean, like, obviously, this is my projection onto them. But, like, I feel if you when you settle for something, you're settling for a, a mediocre life. You're not settling for the life that you, on, on that timeline where you feel completely at home where you just know in your core that you don't have to perform anymore for anyone, that you're just you and that's just mm. it. Mm. But yeah. I mean, I mean like this kind of transition transitions into the topic that I want to talk about with you, which is the relationship that you had with Miranda, which is, which if I could say it, it was like a marriage of convenience in a way. Um, it, yeah, except after my current husband, and this is part of the weird problem of my life, is at, 
I married this uh, person who ended up being the CEO of uh, this woman who ended up being the CEO of a $4 billion a year company back when a mm-hmm. billion was truly still a billion. And, right. Um, she, and she, I, and I still to this day, uh, she's the second great love of my life after Bruce. Um, mm. And she was the person who often made me feel the most at home. I, I, I mean, the, 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 as the, as the book says, and this is maybe too, perhaps too blunt to say without a little bit of buildup, but as the book says, I'm a gay man who likes to sleep with women, which makes mm-hmm. no sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, she, my problem was not the sex and not the the be, wanting to be around her. My problem was not feeling at home. I think in the book, what I say is, as I recall the passage, is that it all comes down to where do I want to put my nose at night? Do I want to put my nose between her shoulder blades or between his shoulder blades? Mm-hmm. And the answer is mm-hmm. his shoulder blades. So I mm-hmm. end up being a gay man who likes to sleep with women. And mm-hmm. it's just, there's no either or to me. And since there's no either or to me, um, I had to figure out how to make that life for myself, how to make mm-hmm. something out of it. I know mm-hmm. it's like, you know, it's so it's not fitting the stereotype. And I loved Miranda with all my heart. And I think she mm. loved me. And we eventually became so toxic for each other because I was in such a dire place and losing myself inside the great works of Western mm-hmm. literature that I flipped our marriage over and uh, eventually did terrible things to her, as the book describes, and mm-hmm. basically sucked her down into my psychosis with me. And um, I mean, I have to push back a little bit on that because at the same, yes, there was that part where you sucked her into that. But at the same time, I feel that she was also a willing participant because she didn't really put up much of a fight from from a, from someone who was who was a CEO. You would ex- you would kind of expect them to have the same kind of uh, firm um, personality, just like mm. being able to dominate in a boardroom and being able to come home and just also be upfront with her husband. And but I think that in, I think you're that right, and and that's her story to tell. But at least in my, she used home as the one place where she wasn't in control. She used it as this one space in which she didn't have to control every variable. And mm-hmm. um, you're right; it takes two to tango, of course. And this is my side of the story. Right. But, you know, I basically convinced her. And pulled her into this plot that I elaborately built to explain our strange life together. And she was mm-hmm. complicit in that. But I still think that she wanted what her notion of home was one place where she wasn't in control. Very right. different from her. She deferred to you. She basically yeah. deferred to you the entire time. And, Wait, and she never deferred um, to anyone else. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I really found that interesting. Your dynamic was extremely interesting. And even when you gave her the book of the portrait of a lady, it was like, mm-hmm. you're trying so hard, even though you're great, like words mean a lot to you. 
you're unable to express how you're really feeling except through literature. And you presenting her with that book and her finishing it, throwing it away in the trash can, it's just like, she's obviously throwing away the idea that <laughs> there is no other timeline here. There is only you and her and that is it kind of thing. That That's kind of it. And I wanted her to read that book and see James's heroine, Isabel Archer, James, the tragic one, as, as, well, as mm-hmm. her, right? I so badly wanted her to identify and say, oh my God, look at, and, and I thought that books would show her the truth the way they had shown me the truth. And instead she said, where the scenes happen in a hotel room in Venice. And it said, I stay all week at, no, at night with my eyes half cracked open watching her read the book waiting 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 for this big moment of revelation you know when her eyes open Mm -hmm. up and she's like oh my god this is my life it's fucked like isabelle's and Mm -hmm. she never does you're right she throws the book in the trash can and i think that's part of my realizing oh my god i can't rely on books to tell my story i can't rely on books Mm -hmm. to tell the truth about me i have to eventually tell the truth about me and Mm -hmm. It was a, a uh, an arduous path to try to get there. Thank God I met some people along the way, like uh, this one artist in Austin who kind of helped me put my life back together in some Emmy? Way. Is that who you're referring to? No. Is it Emmy? Fiona, Fiona in the book. Oh, Fiona. The woman, Fiona. The okay. woman who blows mm-hmm. squirrels out oh. of the trees with a 12 kid. <laughs> with a shotgun. Yeah. <laughs> that that oh person. My. I, that person truly put my life back together. And I'm very sad that the book was published three months after she died. And I Aww. so badly wanted her to read the book and to know mm. what she was like in that book. Um, she, that person <laughs> who would, who hated squirrels, she was an avid gardener and hated squirrels to get in her garden. So she would use this 12 gauge right. shotgun to blow them out of trees. And she is the one eventually who married my current husband and me. She mm. married us. And, and she was just this dominant part of my life of helping me put my life back together because she was an artist. She loved great poetry, but it didn't seem to control her life. And I watched her very carefully. How is this? How is it possible that somebody could love poetry and love lit the way she does and be an active artist and yet still have an identity outside of that um, artistic milieu outside of the words and mm. the the, the, uh, the paint on the canvas that she would use i was so mm. fascinated by it and she helped me put my life back together and mm. slowly it all came back together and as i say chaos chaos resolved into domesticity so <laughs> so so i guess three's company and every bad sitcom is right in the end i guess mm. you know it's <laughs> i guess the simpsons yeah. are right the chaos <laughs> chaos really does just fall into domesticity and then that's that <laughs> yeah yeah but i mean like so then i i know you you joke that words are very dangerous which words can be very dangerous but don't you feel that reading and i mean reading and words are dangerous but like don't you feel that reading is also still quite important for a foundation of for like for anyone's foundation of course. And I wouldn't have a passion project in Dante's comedy if I didn't think <laughs> words were not important. It's that I was, it's that they're more, I guess my thesis in the sense of world is it they're more dangerous than we, we think they are. 
and um, they're not to be treated lightly. But of mm-hmm. course, that you know, there is no question in this world that part of reading narrative and allowing other writers, I, whoever that other writer is, whether it's you know some classic writer, whether it's Laurie Moore, whether it's J.D. Robb, whether it's uh, Toni Morrison, la- allowing um, other writers to take over your consciousness helps definitely form your consciousness and form mm-hmm. who you are. It's just mm-hmm. a slightly more dangerous act than we, at least this is my take on it, than we might <laughs> think. But of course it's important. Of course, you know, I feed my niece and nephew books at every turn. Of course oh, I do. that's amazing. Uh, <laughs> because I want them to read. <laughs> I just well, then, don't want uh, like, to freak out mm-hmm. the way I did. Yes, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I was just going to say then, especially for your niece and nephew, I mean, how do you make the case to them that, you know what, reading these great classic lit is is so important. But then there are so many schools right now who are taking classic lit and replacing them with more diverse writers as well. Like, yep. What are your thoughts on that? I think that's a good thing. Uh, you know, quite frankly, the whole musty old canon of western lit the way i was what was taught i think it's good that it breaks it needs to break um it was mm-hmm. formed by um a certain kind of dilettantish white man coming off the gi bill in world war ii and <laughs> to be honest with you that canon needs to break apart and it's not that i don't think that there's a place of course i think there's a place for i don't know name the classic book moby dick or tom jones or Mm. uh, jane Jane Eyre. of course there's a place for those books um but there's also a place to try to figure out the marginalized voices the unheard voices and there's Mm -hmm. a right there's a way that those voices have to be heard too and i i think that's part of it i think part of what was my problem is that i came of age in an era in which the great works still carried authority and maybe Mm. maybe there's a way that they don't necessarily carry authority maybe they just Mm. function as pieces of art and Mm. like all all pieces of art are fallible are mm-hmm. riven with fractures, uh, attempt to heal over those fractures to become a whole, just like people. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe mm-hmm. that's maybe that's the deal. Um, I, I'm I'm currently teaching. I, I I I'm back to teaching lit, but I teach it kind of on my own terms, and I'm in the middle of a Zoom class on Elliot's Middlemarch and we're two weeks in there's I think there's 260 in that class or something and um we're two weeks into it and I said this week to the giant zoom screen of people in the webinar that I think Middlemarch is just a glorious failure that the book just fails in every way that it sets out to do it ultimately fails and you could see everybody's face like oh my god I'm like what's he saying and I'm like come on <laughs> It's it's not it's not the Bible. It's not some religious text. It's a work of 1871. And Elliot was trying mm-hmm. to figure out her way out of it, out of the problems that she's setting. And she doesn't always succeed. And I think that that's really important 
to not only marginal voices, but to grab away the authority of the supposed canonical texts. Mm. Um, Mm-hmm. I think that's yeah. A, you don't uh, want it to become dogma, basically. So no, not at all. No, I, mm-hmm. I, I have no desire for it to be in any circumstances dogma. Mm. But then, so then, for a lot of great, uh, before I ask um, the final question, some of the great works of literature usually come through some sort of repression of the mm. self or from society. But now that society is opening up more, that we're being more accepting of people who are queer, who are non-binary. I mean, we still have a long way to go, but it's starting. There is like a tiny, tiny ripple. Do you think there needs to be repression in order for more amazing works to come out? No, I don't. I think that what we need to do is let people find their voices and we need to... um, let them find their voices because the best work will always come when a writer finds her voice or his voice or their voice. And that at that moment, they'll be able to tell the story that he or she or they need to tell at that moment. Um, You know, like I think about since I brought her up, I think about Toni Morrison and how long mm. it took her to publish The Bluest Eye, right? Which is the 40s, right? When she publishes The Bluest mm. Eye. And you can tell by the time The Bluest Eye comes at it, to me, you can tell in The Bluest Eye that there is a voice that has formed inside that person that is now mm-hmm. ready to tell that story of Bacola and the nightmare of her childhood. And yeah. I, I I think that that's part of letting that voice form. And it's not that, you know, of course, it's not that Morrison didn't live, of course, in a far more repressive culture than I did. But mm-hmm. but I think that I think that the voice that she formed was not necessarily I don't know. Well, I don't know how to say this. Not necessarily a piece of that repression that certainly came from it, but it was a, an exploration that she had finally found on her own. And that, you know, by the time we have beloved, good God, that voice mm. is so, so big and so thunderous and so fabulous that mm-hmm. one would like that to be. So no, I don't, I don't think that you need repressive strategies in order to find voices. I think that in the end, you have to figure out how to free your voice to tell your own story. You don't need any other external substance in order to actually access it as well. No. And or I think, a lot I think, of, yeah. I think that's true. Shoot. That's not just narrative advice. That's business advice. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, that... <laughs> You, you have to find the way to tell, as an entrepreneur even, uh, to tell the story of the brand you're building and mm-hmm. h- how you want that brand to be. It's, it's mm-hmm. extraordinarily important to find that for you. But, okay, this is my last question because I don't want to take up too much of your time. So I know that you're a lover of words when they're not controlling you, but what is your impression of the English language today? Because, I mean, there's shorthand, there's acronyms, there's expanding our vocabulary, quote, unquote, expanding our vocabulary with words like doom scrolling or bootylicious or anything like that. <laughs> doom scrolling is my favorite activity in the world. Um, it, is the, 
I would like after a hard day of because I do a lot of writing and a lot of teaching and Bruce and I have a cookbook due uh, in a couple months. So I'm in the middle of drafting that. And, you know, after a hard day of, <laughs> of writing, there's nothing I like better than bourbon and doom scrolling. It's like that is like, <laughs> that's like the perfect six to seven o'clock activity. Um, so, um, I, here's what I think. I think that English. I've always said, even back when I was an academic and an old English, you know, fuzzy English prof, I always said um, English as it is spoke, because I think that English is a living language. I think it's developing. Mm -hmm. And I think that that I am astoundingly thrilled that the uh, that online culture is warping and reimagining the English language even as we speak. I think it's brilliant. Mm. Um, mm. I, I think it shows the of the force of language. And I'm speaking in English, and I know it's you know it's the same thing happening currently in French. It's the same thing happening in German. Um, the languages are being remade by online cultures, and I actually find that to be just fucking brilliant. Because it means mm -hmm. the language is living, and mm -hmm. we don't we don't doth have to speaketh like a some old Elizabethan <laughs> to <laughs> to get our point across. Yes, of course. Mm -hmm. When my when my fifteen year old niece texts me, sometimes yes, I'm old enough that I have to look up what she said. I like what 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 is that? What the hell? What what is she saying to me? So. <laughs> <laughs> what what's i see why am i what what so i <laughs> i but there's a part of me that loves that you know we read uh, in the one of the book groups i read and this is a strange story but we read the argonauts by maggie nelson and oh yeah um, mm -hmm. i love that book and if yeah. anybody that hasn't read it should read the Argonauts by Maggie Nelson and in the Argonauts what basically is about is that Maggie Nelson falls in love with uh it's a memoir and she falls in love with her wife and then her wife mm -hmm. decides to transition and it's this whole mm -hmm. question of how do you fall in love and think you're a lesbian and think you're a certain way and now the person that you love more than any other is starting to transition and what do you do with this information and how do you stay in a relationship okay anyway and the, one of the, I led a book discussion group on it, and there were a lot of old people in that group, a lot of people in their 70s and 80s in that book discussion. And I thought, oh, holy hell, right? You know, like I'm going to get killed by these old people for making them read this mm -hmm. book. And this woman, this, I would say she's 85, maybe, started off the whole discussion by saying, this book gives me so much hope. She said, because it tells me that when I'm gone from this world, this world will keep changing and that mm. it will keep becoming something new. And she said, mm. it just as as somebody who's looking at the end of her life, she's like, this book filled me with so much hope that the world mm. will just keep evolving. And mm -hmm. I, I think the same thing about the English language, not French language, German language, I don't know. I think the same thing, right? It's hopeful. It's fabulous. It's going to keep becoming. Like, I was just so immersed in what you were saying about how the old woman, she said it gave her hope that, like, like life is still, it'll still continue on and it'll still continue to change and it will still be there. 
Right. So right. that's so beautiful. That the, that the world is still becoming. And I think that's the thing about the, the language. It's still becoming. It's just mm-hmm. fabulous. It's a fabulous yeah. idea. It's a fabulous, hopeful way to live your life. Oh, yeah. That's so beautiful. On that note, where can we find your book? You can find my book wherever fine books are sold. Um, <laughs> it's up, <laughs> uh, of course, on the Big Satan Amazon. It is from an indie yes. press, Propertius Press, and you can go to Propertius Press and find it there. It's at BNN. It's on Smashwords. It's on, uh, you can get it on Moby devices, on Kindle, on all kinds of e-readers. Um, or again, the, the book itself, if you want to just read words on a page, are, are available at Amazon, indie bookstores. I think it's up on Abe at this point. Um, and you can find it, look around. And otherwise, you know, uh, it's of course also around on my website. Honestly, Mark, this has been such a joy. Please, everyone, please go pick up his book called Bookmarked, How the Great Works of Western Literature Have Fucked Up My Life because you definitely want to read every single word because every single word has meaning behind it. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Mark. Honestly, this was so, such a joy. Can you please tell us now um, where, what are your social channels that we can find you? Uh, you can find me under my name, Mark Scarborough. It's not Scarborough, like Scarborough Ferret, Scarborough without that middle O. You can find me under my own name. My Twitter handle is Mark Scarborough. My Instagram handle is Mark Scarborough. Uh, my Facebook is Mark Scarborough, but there are lots of Mark Scarboroughs on Facebook. Um, and then I have my own website, MarkScarborough.com. All of those places will um, link back to me in various ways. So fortunately... I got onto those platforms early enough that I have my actual names. <laughs> nice. Well done, you. <laughs> you know, I started writing for AOL in 1992 when oh it was God, still right. in an internet startup. And my email address at AOL was mark at AOL.com. So wow. I actually had that at one point in my life. <laughs> but anyway you can find me under my own name mark scarborough on any of the platforms amazing and be sure to check out all 35 of his cookbooks and all three of his podcasts walking with dante lyric life and cooking with bruce and mark mark scarborough thank you so much this was such a joy thank you so much for having me and thanks for taking such great interest in the book thank you You've been listening to the PopZara Podcast. For more quality original content, check out PopZara.com for the latest reviews and previews in gaming, movies, tech, and more.